Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create Your Life family, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Before we get started, I wanted to share some exciting information from our sponsor. We only pick people and companies that we think are awesome to bring onto the show, so please support them. As a podcaster, I've spent hours and hours editing, doing show graphics, and much more, and I finally got fed up with losing all of my free time to post-production activities. So I decided to do something about it. And if you are a fellow busy podcaster who would like to just record and have someone else do the dirty work of graphic creation, tagging and uploading your show to your server and in-depth SEO generating show notes, go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Wire Brown, and today we have another amazing guest. This guest is actually a mentor of mine and has a lot of value to give to us today. So I hope you're excited for this episode as much as I am. This gentleman is the New York startup program lead for Google Cloud. He was most recently an entrepreneur in residence at City Ventures. His most recent startup post was as COO for Explain Everything, which is an interactive screencasting whiteboard app. He also served as CEO and co-founder of Chatwala, which was a mobile video chat app, and Capture, which was acquired, which was an app that enables users to aggregate photos taken at an event in seconds. Prior to founding Capture, He was Senior Manager of Product and International Strategy for ESPN, where he launched ESPN3 in the U.S., Mexico, Brazil, and Europe. And this gentleman received his degree in computer science from Columbia University. Create Your Life Family, I'm talking about none other than Mr. Tej Paul Batia. Tej, please say hello to the Create Your Life Family. Hey, uh, Create Your Life Family, and uh, thank you, Kevin, for having me. Oh, absolutely, Tej. Super excited to have you in the studio, man. I just want to jump right in and ask you, tell us about your entrepreneur journey. It started a little over 10 years ago. I know a lot of people have influences from like childhood or moments where they had a lemonade stand. I, I had a bunch of stuff like that growing up and random ventures, but they were never like pivotal for me. I started a company in college. The purpose of that was to bolster my resume because my grades weren't very good. This was uh, 2000 and back then you'd actually at the career services office, office, you'd give your resume and they would require, certain companies would require certain GPAs to apply. And I didn't have that GPA. So I applied anyway, like stuck the res- paper resume into their cubby hole and I got all the interviews and I, I credit it because I started this company in college, which really didn't go anywhere, but mm-hmm. it was creative and it was, it was always a topic of inter- interviews and I ended up getting a lot of those jobs. What was the company? It was called Tempheads. Okay. It was 
was a temp placement company, but not really temps that did much work. They literally just sat in your office. This was in the late 90s during the first dot-com boom. And I actually got a request from a startup. I was like, hey, can you get a bunch of college seniors to come sit in our office and make it look full? We have some investors coming in. So it kind nice. of clicked. And I did that a couple of times for a few clients. And yeah. literally, we were temporary heads because seniors in college look like young startup people. They right, have time. Right. They need money. It didn't go anywhere. The, the economy collapsed anyway. And that's an example of fluff that was in the market. But it landed me my first job and eventually got me to ESPN. And I was at ESPN from 2002 to 2007 in a great job. I was launching new products and with new technology around sports and launching it internationally, traveling around the world, seeing events, talking to a bunch of people. It was literally like the greatest job. But something inside me towards the end there was just like this itch and pull and I wanted to be my own boss I can't put my finger on it I think a lot of it was having bosses and being told no at a young age but like really believing in myself and my ideas and feeling that people were saying no just to like limit me which I now as I'm older know isn't the case you can't do everything and and a lot of my bosses were awesome and had you know really good uh, skills at prioritization but I just wanted to tackle everything mm -hmm. so I ended up leaving ESPN without having a startup idea there was months where I was going to the office and all I was thinking about was like, I got to be my own boss. I got to be an entrepreneur. I was reading a bunch of articles, but I actually didn't have a business idea. Looking back on it, it might've been smart to like moonlight nights and weekends, validate an idea, feel mm -hmm. confident and leave. But it got to a point where my mind was racing so much day and night. I couldn't even concentrate on my job. And I literally just quit. It was, it was a great exit. They actually hired me as a consultant. The next, I left on a Friday. They hired me on Monday, gave me a project that only required me to work a few hours a week, brought in some income while I figured out what I wanted to do. It was really nice. And it ended up being a couple of projects too. So I spent a year consulting for a bunch of media and entertainment companies in uh, two kind of areas, digital media, traditional media companies that wanted to go into digital formats, and then international expansion, existing companies that wanted to break into other markets. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that turned into an idea. And I stopped all the consulting, took the money that I made from consulting and seeded the company, brought on a co-founder, two co-founders. And we launched a company in 2007, 2008, not the greatest time. It was right around the financial crisis. We were able to raise some money around half a million dollars for our original idea and we started working on it and then the economic collapse globally actually affected our business in multiple ways we couldn't raise more money a lot of the customers we had either you know were going through really hard times and cancel their contracts or actually went under customers themselves disappeared and we had to regroup what uh, was the company at this point so the original idea was in a service to help north american companies expand into emerging markets so most media companies have units that sell into europe and key markets markets in South America and Asia, but much smaller markets like Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. Guatemala, like literally to go cut a deal with a local cable operator, right. the flights and the lawyers would cost more than the revenue that would come in. So wow. we came yeah. up with a model that, hey, our company will aggregate all these rights for those specific markets mm -hmm. and go out and do a broad deal with cable companies, first tar targeting expats that, mm -hmm. hey, we can bring like ESPN and HBO and a bunch of other companies. And a lot of the media companies were cool with that because these were markets they're not going to touch. And and they kind of basically gave us a fishing license. Go see if you can get us deals. And we found we found customers. But like I said, after the, the crisis, that went away. We kept the facade of the startup, but we ended up consulting. So we had a bunch of developers, and I didn't want to let them go. And we ran out of the, the half a million we spent, that we uh, raised was gone. So we started taking on consulting projects and kept on the side coming up with startup ideas and pivoting and pivoting, put them out in market, and they would fail, and we'd learn quickly. And then in 2009, I got married. And I had a problem after my wedding that my CTO was uh, able to help me solve, which was I wanted to aggregate all the photos from that wedding in one place 
but I didn't want to like contact everyone. I didn't want to like create a Dropbox folder and ask everyone to put stuff in. I didn't right. want to go download from everywhere. So he actually wrote an algorithm that went and found all the photos and put wow. them into one folder. And it was amazing. Like in the, the first version was literally just like text. Like mm -hmm. when it was links to the, but literally found like 4,000 photos on our first try of the algorithm. And, uh, and this is across the internet. Yeah. This is now pre-Instagram, but mm -hmm. like post-Facebook. I don't know if they'd already hit a billion users or what, but pretty much everyone was posting on Facebook. So Facebook right. was kind of the core of this algorithm. Mm -hmm. And what it did was it um, it looked at your social graph and said, okay, this looks like an important event in your life. And majority of the time, it was like a wedding, birthday, graduation. Sometimes you got promoted and or is your birthday and people said, you know, happy birthday. But you could tell by like, how much media people generated, whether this was a live event or, you know, a virtual thing. It would look at peak events in your life, look at who generated content around that event a little mm -hmm bit before a little bit after and then it would run that same algorithm on their timeline so it could figure out who else was like tagged in photos even if you didn't know them because it could be a friend of a friend of a friend right. but you're not connected on it so you would never see their feed so when my CTO showed me this I saw photos from people that were like the plus one of yeah. someone at the wedding who were, they were no longer dating so like how would I ever have even known that picture I immediately took that out to a couple of investors and people were really impressed with it and we ended up raising like two and a half million for that off that idea and then we spent about a year putting it on to market and we had some awesome partnerships we went a little bit of like a b2b route with the technology mm -hmm. did a bunch of stuff with like musicians emi records was a customer sony was we did stuff with david Guetta. our biggest partnership was, was with beyonce and so we had like this and they were all posting and tweeting and like marketing it and we would have these spikes of traffic of you know hundreds of thousands of users in minutes but then nobody would use it again there was no brand recognition like it, it was a promotion for beyonce's new album i think the album was four at the mm -hmm. time so after a couple of days nobody ever went back to this thing it was it was like you know marketing and again money started getting tight again so we quickly like pivoted and said okay we can't like do these marketing type deals let's go out and get real customers and create value for people the technology is really good we ended up putting it out to market as a standalone product called capture eventually it caught on and mm -hmm. i say eventually it wasn't like random or a miracle we actually engineered some viral tactics into the product that helped us helped us scale and it grew to like millions of users really quick and then we ended up selling it in 2013 and the decision to sell it we actually had um we had a really big acquisition offer a year earlier but that deal fell through and my co-founder and i were uh devastated and we're like we don't know what we're gonna do deals like that don't come up every day when the ultimate acquisition offer came up it was decent it wasn't like the one that yeah, fell that through yeah. yeah at that point we were exhausted uh, money was drying up instagram had just sold mm -hmm. and it was really hard for us to raise money on a business that was so heavily built on facebook um technically facebook could shut it off at any moment i didn't think they would but investors were yeah, worried yeah. about that that was in 2000 13 and then I was still pretty confident about a couple of things my fundraising abilities my ability to build product recruit teams and I went out and launched my second startup which was a video chatting app um, I spent a little bit of my own money to build a prototype took it out to investors to show the prototype and again raised money really quickly okay. and we raised 625,000 for that and I recruited an awesome team an amazing CTO and literally there was a lot of fanfare and get confidence going into this one I know how to make things viral photo sharing is viral chatting Absolutely. is viral and i was really clear with my investors that hey like this is a big bet we're either going to lose the 600 or we're going to go you know go big on this and raise a bunch more and because chatting is not something that is going to generate revenue a million users is not enough 10 million is not enough right mm -hmm. like we got to make this thing go viral fast and whatsapp was already you know a thing again we were super confident and now i understood the metrics to measure how we were doing and i made those metrics dashboards completely uh, transparent to my investors so literally every day they got a report and they could log in at any time and see how we were doing nine months in so it took us three months to launch the product and then six months of looking at the data and tweaking and iterating this wasn't
wasn't gonna it was it was okay a couple hundred thousand users and people liked it it was a really ex good experience i used it all the time and my team used it and we loved it but there was something about it was a one-to-one -one chatting mechanism group didn't really work well uh, given the context that we had built around the problem we were trying to solve mm -hmm. and it just was never going to hit those numbers like if we had if we were going to go out to raise another round we would have spent money on marketing like the, you know we would have had to like really push this and i wanted something that was going to be organic so we ended up uh, deciding to shut the company down before we ran out of money mm -hmm. so we could lay everyone off smoothly and give some money back to the investors that was devastating even though i went in knowing that uh this was has a high likelihood of failure i was very honest with the investors they were all really well off so nobody lost their shirt actually they ended up we closed before the end of the year they were able to it was a good year in the stock market mm -hmm. they were able to write off this loss so rich people get richer somehow when they you know yeah when, when they lose money right they make money so anyway like so no no feelings were hurt uh and these were all like accredited professional investors so relationships were fine but for me personally like that failure was like horrible yeah. it um took a, a, a toll on me uh emotionally that i had never experienced before i shouldn't say i had never experienced before uh a lot of bad things have happened in my life that you know caused me to get down but this was something that is a privilege mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur in america to start a company and people give you money and people want to work with you and you get to meet all these awesome people but the failure of it felt like as bad as a death like it felt like i lost a loved one and it's not that i love the company but it was more like it was my identity and, and i lost it and i saw it coming and i denied it for a while and then it just happened and the grieving period and the recovery period was a long time it was uh, how long would you estimate years i jumped into my next startup six to nine months later probably wasn't ready to but i needed to do something and there was a couple of challenges one um i wasn't sure if i could do anything besides startups at this point right because now we're talking maybe you know seven eight years in to mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur so i'd taken some, some time off between startups traveled but the travel wasn't good i'd be on vacation we'd be in awesome places like you know berlin and you know doing really cool stuff that right now if i did on vacation would be amazing but yeah. like i was in my head right. i wasn't right. enjoying it this was months of that and again we traveled everywhere and then a friend of mine was starting a company i had started a company kind of as a side project and it was taking off this is explain everything he was getting a lot of interest from investors he was generating a lot of revenue almost as a sole shop um he had a team in poland when they actually formed a real company and raised money they brought me on as chief operating officer and i was running uh u.s operations and i stayed there for two years as coo it was literally almost exactly at like the 10-year mark of being an entrepreneur a couple things happened my uh we found out my wife was pregnant that's like a whole other story like our ordeal of many years so it was like a miracle for us that we actually got pregnant we'd kind of pretty much resided that we weren't going to have kids or eventually maybe one day adopt so the fact that it actually happened was amazing to us i just started thinking a little differently like do i really want to be an entrepreneur why did i become an entrepreneur in the first place is mm -hmm. this fulfilling me as a person is this what i want to be doing more moving forward and a couple things started happening at that time some ch changes were happening within the company it was a good time we'd raise some more money it was a good time for me to step back also my skill set was limited i was really good at getting the company to that point but mm -hmm. i don't have an education background to actually scale the company to go out and talk to teachers and administrators i wasn't the it w there wasn't good founder uh market fit with me mm -hmm. uh, on that so it was a really good time for me to leave and around that time the folks at city ventures found me and they found me through a networking contact that you and i both share actually okay. i was through the startup leadership program yeah uh, which we can talk about later but that's an example of in a network and a community that i invested in over the years and it paid back someone's right. like hey i hear you're you know, like i had gone to coffee with a friend of mine and told him i was in this transition period and not sure what i want coincidentally like a week later he 
met with my soon-to-be boss at City Ventures, and he said, I'm looking for someone like this. He goes, hey, that sounds like my friend Tej. He put us in touch, and then I joined uh, City Ventures January of 2017. It was an 18-month contract as this entrepreneur-in-residence role, which we can talk about a little more later, but it was basically this incredible experience where my boss had pulled together about a dozen people like me, former entrepreneurs, some success, some failure, about a decade's worth of experience, come build this team inside City Ventures. We took a bunch of money from the venture capital arm mm -hmm. and applied it to an internal incubator. Okay. So basically any city employee could launch a startup right. within city. Absolutely. And our roles as entrepreneurs and residents was as coaches. So literally we were advising these people on their startups. So I wasn't building the startup. I wasn't uh, a founder in any of them. I actually had a portfolio of anywhere from eight to 15 teams that I coached most which failed or were killed because they didn't validate in the market, but some which continued on and continued right. to raise funding. So it was a great experience. I actually jokingly call it a halfway house for founders. After starting a company and after doing 10 years of startups, you have a warped view of reality. Yeah. And you start to think that you can't do anything else. Um, and you can never work for somebody in the a big corporate machine in cities like 200,000 plus people. You know, right. like, so it was like a bit of shock theory, therapy, but also like coming out on the other side, like, wow, like I can do this. Coincidentally, also through the startup leadership program network, uh, Google found me. They uh, reached out for the job that I currently have, which is the startup program lead for New York for Google Cloud. And my job is to uh, be basically the ecosystem super connector for Google in New York. And I have a bunch of colleagues around the world, one in kind of every major startup city. And our job is to connect with early stage startups and be as valuable as we can. It's not an investment team and it's not a sales team. We're actually in engineering in a group called developer relations. That pretty much brings us to now. Well, Tej, I'm hearing Create Your Life Family. We are hearing three important things from Tej right now. Number one, be bold and don't be afraid to jump out on a limb and take the risk. You heard that when he left ESPN, he left on a Friday, was hired back on a Monday as a consultant. Being self-aware, understanding how things are affecting you and how you need to heal and become more. And then also being adaptable. He's been able to adapt to different companies as well as new opportunities that are not in a startup space. Tej, I wanna go back to earlier in your story and I wanna ask you, what made you bold enough to go in and pitch these people? And how did you even build some of those relationships with the VCs in order to get in front of them? I think the being bold enough to pitch these people is part excitement and part necessity. Like it's okay. kind of cool to like find someone that you think would be a great investor. If you meet a hundred of them and you can actually make contact with them, all a hundred are gonna say no. So it's like yeah. it's a very like character building experience, and mm -hmm. it beats you down, uh, but you keep doing it from necessity. So the excitement is I actually connected with this person somehow, and I have a chance to pitch mm -hmm. them. But the necessity is when you're building your business and you have employees and vision, you may need capital, and if you do, and you decide that that's right for you, this is part of the game. It was actually one of my least favorite parts. It's a lot of work. It's a sales effort, connecting with the folks, people you don't know, and convincing them to have a meeting with you and then having the meetings. When it's successful, it feels great. But again, it's a lot of rejection to get to that feeling. And again, it's, it's a necessity. It's not like, a, it's not a game. You want to build out your business. So how did I um, actually get in touch with them? A lot through warm connections. So okay. I would actually find someone that I thought would be a good investor. And mm -hmm. I'd see if we were mutually connected. And if we were, I'd ask that connection, hey, do you know them well enough to do a double opt-in intro? I'll send you an email, forward it to them, say, no, no um, pressure, but would you like to meet this person? Some people say no and give a reason. Some people say yes, and you get a meeting. Now, in a lot of cases, I'm not connected with that person. So you have to find connections to the connections to that person. That's where the network that I've built in New York over the years and the startup community with my friends, you know, really pay 
paid off. Uh, with that said, my biggest investors in my first two companies were sort of random. One investor was actually an intern of ours, and I had no idea that he was able to invest, and some of his family also invested. And then another investor, we met very serendipitously through a friend of mine. My We were at the end of our money, three weeks away from potentially shutting the company down, ran into this guy, and he sensed something was off. I don't know if he really knew how to help me, uh, but later at a charity event, he was sitting next to someone, and somehow I came up into that topic, and that guy said, I'd really like to meet him. Mm. So he set up a meeting, and next thing you know, that became our largest investor. So again, that is also the network. Like, it's mm -hmm. not a direct thing. I ran into someone I knew from the community on the street in New York who ran into someone they were at a dinner with. You know, like, so there is, you can tie it back, but again, it, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't run into him on the street that day. So how often were you going to meetups, or how were you immersing yourself in the community? The meetups are tough, right? There's several every night. You can go to all of them, right. and depending on how you define, like, return on that time investment, mm -hmm. could be minimal. What do you feel are the best strategies in order to get the best ROI? Yeah, so I don't think the spray and pray model is good. I think okay. you'll get exhausted. Well, so, I mean, some people love going out and doing all that stuff, so maybe it, it could be fun. But like going to these mass networking events, for me, occasionally I would meet someone, and a lot of my drive to go to those events was like, what if I meet someone? But looking back on it, there really wasn't much that came out of those events. The communities where I could build a much deeper connection mm -hmm. have paid off way more. So like this one I mentioned a few times, Startup Leadership Program that yeah, you and I both went through yes, um, and how we met, actually, mm -hmm. is a community that has, like I said, paid dividends for me. My mm -hmm. last two jobs. I owe it to it. Some of my startup success, recovery after the startup failure mm -hmm. out to this community. And these deeper relationships where they're not necessarily business, right? Like mm -hmm. there maybe there's a business like anchor that brings people together, but right. you really form authentic connections with people. Like you and I have spoken many times on the phone about your business, about what you want to do, but really it's more important is how, like even today when I walked in, how's the family? There's a much more important connection. I think those networks have been the best for me. And those are the ones where I actually don't go in with an ask. Like it's not like, oh, I want to meet investors because that never works. It's not like with my last two jobs, I was necessarily even looking for these jobs. I was having coffee with members of our community that right. I like to spend time with. Okay. So you had these different companies and several times when you were talking about your journey, you talked about pivoting. What were some of the indicators that you needed to pivot besides losing money? Yeah. So it's tough. And, and, and I feel like I've gotten better at this over the decade, especially with my time at City Ventures when I was coaching founders on how to quickly learn, how to fail quickly. With my first startup, I probably hung on to some of the ideas months, maybe even years longer than I should have. And a lot of those times, money was the, the final trigger. I couldn't raise money right? Or I couldn't find customers. So we had to just scrap it. I think a much more effective way of doing it is talking to customers, literally getting out and interviewing them in non-biased ways and validating, is this really a problem that the customer needs solving? And if so, can you find enough customers? Then is there a business behind it? And if anywhere along that path, you invalidate, you just stop and you go back to the drawing board or go back a step and iterate. It's hard when you, when you have an idea and it's your baby and mm -hmm. a bunch of people are following you, your, your mind takes over, you know, your emotions take over. But if you can be methodical about it and treat it like experiments, there's a, there's a concept of the null hypothesis. So literally, you're going out to validate if this is a um, problem worth solving. Human nature is that you want it to be a problem that right. someone needs solving because it's your idea. And you might mm -hmm. even bias the interview by saying, hey, you know, wouldn't it be nice if... Right, exactly. You know, really what you do out is go out with the point of trying to prove yourself wrong. Invalidate it. Go out to invalidate. And if you can't, then you've got something, you know, and then you move on to the next step. So in terms of pivoting, I would say, you know, pivot often and early. 
at some point, you know, there's a lot of things at stake. Uh, at that, at, at when you achieve that point, I'd say money is a big piece of it. If you're earning revenue, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of customers who are loyal to your product, you might want to be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least, at least think twice. But before that, yeah, I think you have to find a se several validation points and your own instinct, just be wary of it. How did you learn to be honest with yourself and remove your ego? I still haven't learned that. I think failure was a big lesson yeah, humbling. there. Humbling, much more than humbling, like uh, knocking you down. When that kind of devastation hit and I was just kind of confused with who I am and like certain relationships really came to my rescue, family, wife, her family, friends, community, uh, yeah. the startup leadership program, I'm talking about it a lot. I know that's not the point of the it's podcast. It's your truth, man. Please yeah. keep talking. But those relationships, like I came to realize that there, there's just like a, that deep authenticity mm -hmm. and a lot of the relationships that I had formed over the previous years were superficial. And I started realizing that that, yes, the failure triggered this exhaustion and depression, but also carrying that mask with you the whole time and like always selling and everything's always awesome is tiring. As entrepreneurs, we're relentlessly, you know, optimistic and we have to be because mm -hmm. odds are against us. But if you can find your truth and like hold on to that optimism, but try to be yourself throughout it, like not lose yourself, you have a much, I don't know if you have a better chance of success. Mm -hmm. But you have a much better chance of like balance, yeah. no matter what happens after. Yeah, the failure was a big one. The recovery from that failure was also a very powerful journey for me. Like it, uh, like I said, I'm still going through it. It's definitely long gone enough that there's no wounds, like, or I don't. Did you go to therapy in I order did. to? Yeah, I actually did before. With my first startup, as we were going through the acquisition process, one of my friends, who is a successful successful startup founder, told me, he's like, hey, you should go talk to a therapist. And I was never had any stigma against therapy, but I, that's a weird statement to make. And he, right. and he quickly qualified it after. He's like, and I don't mean this like, you know, you, you have issues. He's like, as a founder, everyone you talk to has a vested stake. Right. Right. Like your advisors, your board, your investors, your co-founders, besides your mom, you know, and, and she maybe can't really advise you. A therapist is a great person to go talk to. And just bounce some ideas yeah. off the wall. Yeah. It was great. It was, mm -hmm. I loved it. I continued therapy because I was like, this is awesome. Like, why wouldn't I invest in this? It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's healthy and I enjoy it. And it keeps me, you know, centered. And then where it really came invaluable was when the startup failed, the next one. So this mm -hmm. now, at that point, I had been going to see the therapist for a year and a half, two years, you know, on a regular basis. But then now all of a sudden I started to feel like physically started to feel the depression and all that stuff and mm -hmm. talking to someone and it wasn't enough, you know, and I was just, I actually ended up changing therapists, finding someone else. Also to the recommendation of someone through startup leadership. Create Your Life Family, Tej is definitely telling us that we need to build community around ourselves and be invested in our mental health because yeah. it's... You know, health, wealth, and wisdom. Yeah. Three pillars. And then ultimately, the therapy helped me through it. Time also helped. But yeah, therapy is something I can't imagine the rest of my life without having a therapist in my life. Let me ask you this. You're married yeah. while you're going through all of these different transitions. Were there any hard times in your relationship due to what you were going through? And if so, how did you and your wife make it through? So first of all, my, my wife is extremely supportive. We met and started dating when I was still at ESPN. Don't remember the exact order, but I might have proposed to her and then quit. You know, it was, it was some, some sort of like, you could arguably say a bait and switch, but no, she was extremely supportive. She's like, follow your dreams. One thing I did during my first startup, which mm -hmm. she specifically asked me not to in my second, was I faked being happy or I faked sorry not being happy being present with so, her or with the company with everything I'll give you an example we'd be at someone's kid's birthday party 
Mm-hmm. And I'm there and I'm social and I'm smiling, but all I'm thinking about is work. I got really good at that. People didn't know what was going on inside my head, but all I think about, all I thought about was work. And then when it came to a head was when we were selling the company. Selling a company is really hard. It's actually one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Rallying investors and employees and working with lawyers and I wasn't sleeping. And it was the first time I'd ever say I had an anxiety attack. I use that very loosely. I have friends who've had anxiety attacks and mine wasn't. But it was the first time I, I recognized anxiety, which I never before in my life. I mean, I must have had it, but I it never... It was part of yeah. life, and I, I never was like, holy you know, crap, something's happening. At that point, I, I talked to my wife, and I said, I, I don't know. You know, I'm feeling this. She wasn't blindsided, but it kind of came out of nowhere because I put such a strong front on the previous five years. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. So before starting my second startup, I talked to her about it and she said, I support you and I want you to do this. But all I ask is when you come home, if you're not here mentally, that's okay. Just tell me. Don't put on a face that everything's fine or that, you know, like, hey, you're busy. You need to think. You need to think. It's okay. That let me be a lot more real and kind of a lot. lot, One of the underlying values of my second startup was authenticity and also presence. Like I really wanted to be in the moment. I wanted to experience this amazing journey that I was going on. Over time, I just realized that those moments when I could be present Mm -hmm. were so powerful. Like they're so freeing, so liberating, you know, that I just really made a point to to try to do that in everything. And the startup world, which I'm still very much a part of, but being a founder and entrepreneur, it was it was harder to do that. Mm. You know, we're now in with a job and stability. I can actually find time in my job and outside to like experience moments in a way that for a long time in my life, I wasn't able to. What do you wish you knew before becoming an entrepreneur? It's funny. I I actually didn't know a lot of this stuff, but like the odds Mm. most fail. But everyone who tries thinks they're going to be the one. Right. And you have to. I wish I wasn't so enamored with the stories you hear of all the wins and the, the that uh, they're one in a million. They really mm-hmm. are. I kind of wish I knew how hard it would be. Again, even if someone had told me all these things, I still would have done it. And it was just a point in my life I was... Yeah, which too, all you thought about. Yeah, yeah. I still would have done it. And it's one of those things, no one can advise you on that. You have to go through it to realize it. When, when I walked into the building, you asked me if I'd ever be an entrepreneur again, I, and I don't know. Given the experience of the 10 years and my experience over the last two years were pretty good. Not that the lot the 10 years before weren't, but there is also a lot of value. Like, it was very binary for me. You have to be an entrepreneur and you have to be successful and that's how you make it in life. There's other ways, you know, to, to make it in life really are more about you and what you want, which ultimately that's what entrepreneurship is also. But it's sometimes hard to get to that, have that honest conversation with yourself. From your point of view, your POV, what are some things that entrepreneurs can do in order to avoid burnout? So, I mean, the, the obvious, obvious things are make time for yourself. Try not to do emails nights and weekends. I say try because I think with, with our phones always connected to us, it's really hard. It takes a lot of discipline to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think for younger people, it sometimes takes burnout to know how not to yeah. get burned out. The other thing I'd say is recognize the signal. Irritability, exhaustion, it, and it's very physical. 
it's a drain of energy. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you start noticing that, you're probably already burnt out. Taking care of your health, physical and mental, obviously very important. And surrounding yourself with people you like being with. Like if this is your life's work and, and you're, you're, you're choosing it and creating it, you should you know try to make it as ideal for yourself as possible. And other than consistency, what do you feel has helped you to get to where you are today? and experience. Yeah, um, I'd say, you know, a level of self-awareness that I never had before. The entrepreneurial journey and the startups is part of it, but it's almost like going back and I, I said this earlier when we we're talking like, why did I do this in the first place? And mm -hmm. I don't really have an answer. I have some canned answers that 10 years ago I would have told you. Now I've, I've gotten really um, understanding of my natural wiring and not being judgmental about it, not saying, hey, you should do this or, you know, there's times where I challenge myself where mm -hmm. it's good to challenge myself. There's other times where like, hey, am I, why am I pushing myself here? Is it because it's something I want to get better at or it's something I think other people would want you to be yeah. better at? Mm -hmm. And at this point, those other people don't mm -hmm. exist, right? It's not like your parents saying do better on a test or you're not, you know, someone telling a coach telling you you're not good enough or you're getting cut from a team now at this point it's really the voices in your head what mm -hmm. you think other people want of you and you got to think who are those other people and you really pretty quickly realize like okay this is just inside me and this conflict is inside me what do i really want and that that's a really loaded question i, I don't know what i want but at any given moment you can try to be in tune with that so when you were rising and you know early in your entrepreneurial days how did you deal with the negative feedback and what did you think when you first saw it whether it was public or not were you prepared for it yeah i, I wasn't i was always really good at kind of taking it with stride smiling and but like in Inside, it would be like process, like it's almost like the, the catalyst and I would ruminate on it and it would bother me. It still does. If someone said something bad about me right now, it would bother me a lot. You learn that if it actually impacts you or serves you, mm -hmm. sometimes there's really good feedback in that negative stuff that you can learn from. Sometimes there's not. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to take, again, what serves you and ignore what doesn't. What are some tips that you would give to entrepreneurs to help protect their personal and professional brands? I don't know. I mean, I guess some some advice or some kind of reassurance uh, that I give is that once you choose to go into this, you can come back. Like, I'm mm. proof of that. It seems like you're not employable because your resume is not going to... Like everyone else's. Yeah, and mm. now it's not going to trigger anything on the algorithm that the keywords that people are looking for, brand names might not be there. And even in the hiring committee or the HR, or even the hiring manager might look at it and they might pass it over because it doesn't, it's like a square peg in a round hole. Round hole. So you got to learn how to identify paths where if your entrepreneurial journey leads you to leave startups where you can find a professional angle. And then mm -hmm. once you're back, you're back. You can, you know, it's just like everyone else. So, so if things don't work out for you, you can always go back to normal life. It is possible. The challenge with the personal and professional brand is when you are working at a company, it's very easy to find comfort in, I work at company X. So in my case, it was ESPN. Mm -hmm. um, when you lose that, you're still the same person. You don't have the same cachet, right? You don't have the business card. You don't have the domain name. Right. And some people might stop contacting exactly. you as well. Exactly, yeah. And it happens. You know, mm -hmm. why should I talk to you? What What do you? What value do you offer me right. outside of... Uh, I guess that's what you uh, experienced as well when you said that some people were not really yeah. friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, you are you, and that brand that you build, um, yeah, it could be from your accomplishments and your resume, but I think a lot of it comes from the relationships. All those people you met when you were at that brand, did you actually form an authentic connection with them? Right. Next time they see you, are you just another LinkedIn connection or are you someone? And, and I think you can find that connection with anyone. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but there, there's a way to be real with people that's, again, refreshing. And you notice it. You're in a meeting and you're talking business and you're all up here. And then somehow you connect either, you know, 
you both, you know, have kids that are the same age or you both went on vacation to the same place. You know, there's something and all of a sudden that one moment is real and now that connection is formed. So forming real relationships as you, not as your professional brand, I mm -hmm. think is really important. In the startup world, you are your startup, right? Or at least mm -hmm. it feels like you're your startup Absolutely. and you need that kind of passion. And it's really hard to separate your professional, uh, personal brand from you. But again, from the outside, those authentic connections you make, they care about you, right? They want your startup to be successful because you started it. But I would say, yeah, building communities and networks are, are by far the most important way to build a personal brand. You've been through the process of raising money and giving out money. What advice would you give to those working to raise capital? This is advice someone else gave to me, which was phenomenal. Um, when you are raising capital, it is a process. It's like a sales process, and you need to be extremely organized, and it's a full-time job, and you need to be aware of that going in. And when I say be organized, use tools, whether it's spreadsheets, LinkedIn, make sure you're following up with people, make sure you're not double-hitting people, you know, like be extremely diligent about it and know who you're talking to. It's not just, hey, you're an investor, we should talk. Right. Right. What, what, why should we, we talk? Ultimately, if a deal comes out of it, like, does it even make sense, you know? And also, you know, do you invest in companies that are in my particular exactly. industry? Do you have a history of this? Yeah, and you don't want to waste people's time. Like, you can find that out in a second, you know? So don't just talk to everyone, you know? Make, mm -hmm. make sure there's at least an opportunity for a business deal that brings value to both of you. And then when you get the meeting, Again, you got to be diligent. Sometimes it's an uh, advice someone else gave me. Like sometimes someone doesn't respond to you. Right. Either because they don't want to respond to you, their inbox is too full, they forget about it. Mm -hmm. It's okay to follow up with people. Well, I think you hit it on the head also, Create Your Life Family, when Tej said that, you know, he got a lot of his meetings by doing warm intros. And then you said the double opt-in email was definitely an advantage yeah. that you used. Yeah, and so. I, I personally now, when people ask me for intros, I will never directly introduce anyone. I'll always do a double opt-in. Like it's, it's, it's fair, it's nice, and it gives people a way to say no without being rude mm -hmm. and maybe even provide feedback without wasting anyone's time. And the other thing is for intros, people love giving intros. Like for me, it's, it's a reason for me to reach out to someone. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I think there's a valuable connection to be made, maybe that person doesn't think so, but if it's worth, if I think it's worth their time to maybe meet, it's a great excuse for me to go to say hi to someone again. Like, hey, here's my friend, they love to talk to you. And then when you get the meetings, again, trying to be yourself is really important, trying to form that authentic connection and pitching with passion. You know, like, this is your life's work. If, you, if, you, if you're not excited about it, why should someone else be excited about it? And there's, there's some tangible and intangible things about that. One is that excitement and passion of an entrepreneur is infectious. Yeah. It's seductive. People Absolutely. like to be around it, you know, mm -hmm. so leverage that. Yeah. It's great. And then the other is a lot of times decisions are not made on the logical side of our brains. Mm -hmm. You can give me the 100% like bulletproof argument why I should invest in your company. If I don't feel it, you know, like my brain is never going to beat my heart. Right? Sure. But if you come in and I kind of like, oh, yeah, I like where this is going, ah, but your your proof's a little, it's got, it's got holes in it. Right. I'm actually going to try to help you. Even if I don't end up doing the deal, I'm going to try to help you because I like it. You know, like right. it's, again, being a, a lot more emotionally intelligent than kind of, you know, logically intelligent is good. And for people who are, especially as technical startup founders, sometimes mm -hmm. they really fall back on that logical side, mm -hmm. which is fine if you're true to yourself. You see some of the, the, the better entrepreneurs have a really good balance of making a case and pushing it through. And some are charismatic and 
in the traditional way and some are in different ways. How do you balance it all, man? When it comes to balance, like priority for me is my family, particularly my wife and our son, finding time to be there and really being there, which is super hard. I'm on my phone all the time. Like it's, you know, like I'll just pull out my phone for no reason on, you know, trying to actually, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally be present in that moment mm -hmm. is really a gift for yourself and for your family. So I think that that's, that's one thing. Second, from a time management standpoint, I've just gotten better at what do I really wanna do? Like again, taking out the word should. So why do I go to SLP at all, all the meetings, which are every other week? And that's tough too. My wife and I talk about that. You know, this is Tuesday night and we go to the bar after and- Yeah, it's a late night. It's a late night. Now with my current job, I'm out a lot also. And I've tried to keep it to like two nights a week. And if SLP is that week- It's three. That's three. But I want to be there, right? right? I like being there. It's mm -hmm. regardless of what outcome is going to come out of it, those three hours are really like nice for me. And just being choosy and like, okay, is this really worth prioritizing over having dinner with my family? Mm -hmm. And very few things are. And then overall, again, just the sense, um, the sense of burnout. And I'm very aware of it. I'm also very aware of like depression. Is this a trigger? And a lot of it's preserving energy. I'm not hoarding energy. I like to go out. I like to meet a lot of people. But I also like things to be efficient. Like I said, maintaining a level where I can go home and go to sleep. And I'm comfortably tired. But it's not like I wake up tired. You know, like, so. That matters. Yeah. That matters. I, that has a lot to do with your uh, evening routine as well. You know, how you wind down. What do you feel like is the biggest personal challenge that Tej needed to overcome in order to be the man that's sitting in front of yeah. me right now. So I, I don't know if I've overcome it, but getting to know who I am. And again, a lot of that came through going through a pretty deep depression and having no choice, you know, and, and just realizing you can't judge yourself and you can't be hard on yourself. And, you know, you have to be affectionate and supportive to yourself before you yeah, can even do that yourself. for anyone else. But knowing who you are. And some people have a really great understanding of that. Like mm -hmm. from childhood, they, they know. For me, it took like 40 years, you know, uh, it, it took a long time, like a lot, a lot of things that I did, I don't want to say were for other people, mm -hmm. but they were always about perception. It was always like, how will, how will this look mm -hmm. as opposed to how will it feel? Mm -hmm. And even when I went to that feeling moment, it was like, how would it feel if other people think this is cool? Mm -hmm. um, even with all my jobs and everything, like the title I had, the companies I worked for, there's a sexiness and coolness factor to it which I like, and, and with my, my most recent job, I realized that's okay if I think it's sexy and cool. Mm -hmm. right? Not because you think it's sexy and cool. You know, like, if it's sexy and cool and it feels good and I enjoy it and it gives me energy, I'm gonna do it. I've also recognized that that's part of who I am. I do think about how other people look at me and think about it. It doesn't matter to me as much, mm -hmm. but I get that I'm wired that way. Who has been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? I mean, hands down, my, my wife. Everyone close to me has obviously been a really, really big champion and supporter and and they love me but what we've gone through over the last 10 years let me say put this way what i've gone through over the last 10 years she was not only a witness to it but she was you know extremely supportive and her disposition is very different than mine you know i think she's a very not, not that i'm not that i'm a negative person but mm -hmm. you know unless you've been through depression it's very hard to understand and i had never been through it before, or at least i don't think i've been through it before uh, there's a whole other newfound respect for it. Like it is an illness, it's physical. It's, I don't ever loosely like, oh, I'm feeling kind of blue, I'm de depressed. No, depression is a clinical thing. To see someone go through that in your life must be very hard if you can't understand it. And if you care about the person. Yeah. So she was just, again, throughout all that, she was supportive when I started, supportive when I stopped. Just knowing that, you know, we'll be okay. And just constantly being reminded that this is a privilege, right? Like regardless, I'm, I'm talking about how hard it is and emotional what we've gone through. This is like, it's because we're free, mm -hmm. right? Like I had the choice to do all this and I'm extremely grateful and I recognize that I'm extremely lucky and 
vast majority of people in the world don't have these opportunities. So it's just kind of reminding yourself of that all the time. What advice would you give to others looking to follow in footsteps similar to yours? It's a little hard to say. So like, if you look at my career path, there's clearly a path and connecting the dots afterwards looks like it was very prescriptive. My current job is kind of a culmination of everything I did kind of even from earlier in my career to what I studied in school to the communities that I built. But along the way, it kind of felt like haphazard. Who knows? Maybe this is some random step in some longer journey. And, and it is. We know we know it is. But just kind of really enjoying and making the most of the experience you're in right now. Having a vision and a path is great because you have a kind of a north star to follow. Right. But that could also change over time. Absolutely. Um, you evolve. Your ideas yeah. evolve as well. And what would you say is some of the best re advice you've ever received? A friend of mine many years ago said, it's simple. Just know what you want. And that advice has been haunting me for decades because I can never truly know what I want. You know, mm -hmm. and I think I've gotten getting a lot better at it. And I realize it's not, it doesn't need to be this kind of long, like life purpose. What do you want to, like right at this moment, what do I want? Don't want to go to some like meetup right now cool right i'm not going to you know i want to spend time with my family cool mm -hmm. i'm going to you know like i want to invest in my career really cool i want to chill out this concept of presence the I, i've gotten two sets of advice around it one is again really just being in the present moment and some tools and tips that uh, people have given me on how to stay present is pretty awesome the concept that really resonated with me was the past and the future don't actually exist they're constructs in our computer that's our brain right past is your memory and the future is something that hasn't even happened yet. So you're worrying about the past or ruminating on it can cause depression. And then mm -hmm. worrying about the future can cause anxiety. Right. And if you don't want depression and anxiety, just focus on what's happening right now. Exactly. Now, if what's happening right now is bad, that's, you know, like, yeah, that's, well, a, different that's a different situation. <laughs> and you deal with that situation. Um, and that's usually instinct at that moment. But like most of the time, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Life doesn't need to be so hard. And being in New York, a lot of people don't realize it. Life is pretty hard in New York, you know? It is very hard. Yeah. As a, as a non-native, I can say that this is tough. Yeah, and, 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 and people, the general like construct of society makes it worse because everyone's pushing so hard here. Not saying that we shouldn't push hard. Mm -hmm. You take that and layer on top of like, when it's cold here, it's really cold. When it's <laughs> hot here, walk in the yeah, it's really hot. When the subway is broken, it breaks. You know, like <laughs> when someone's angry on the street and they're having a bad day, there's like a road rage thing waiting to happen. You know, like yeah. it's- Or a walking uh, rage. Yeah, yeah, walking rage. Yeah, and then again, the fact that everyone's a go-getter and then on top of ourselves, we look at everyone else. Again, New York is not an easy place. Again, life doesn't have to be that hard. Hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, it was hard for other reasons, whether that's like disease or famine or war and stuff right. like that. We don't have to worry about that right now, so why do we make it so difficult? So I remind myself of that a lot. Does Tej meditate? How do you keep your composure, stay calm? I've tried. I, I, go in, I go in waves, and anyone who has meditated will tell you it's really hard. Mm -hmm, like, you're mm -hmm. sitting there. For, some people meditate for a long time, some people meditate for minutes your brain takes over in seconds it's hard that's not an excuse but like mm -hmm. there was a time especially when the startup was failing that i was doing it a lot i don't right now um, mm -hmm. I find moments and pockets to do it. I don't do it in a routine way. Like I, I work out every morning and I had incorporated meditation into that. A couple of years ago, I stopped. And then again, now I find times like taking the subway up here was awesome. Didn't do anything for a little bit. I read for a little bit. It was, you know, it's like it's finding those moments things. in the day. And I'll actually even block out time in my calendar for that sometimes. Like I'll just literally put blo a block or do not book or busy just mm -hmm. to do nothing. So Create Your Life family, what we're hearing from uh, Tej is he said, know what you want, but also act on it immediately. In my personal opinion, I learned this from a coach in college, one of my basketball coaches uh, from a, a visiting school. He said, presence is the most powerful thing that we possess. And so I've always thought about that and lived by it, is that, you know, a lot of times you can walk into a place and it's not even what you say. 
It's just your physical presence and being the way that you stand, the way that you emote energy off of yourself. Tesh, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? What career or hobby have you always wanted to pursue or anything like that? I, I like what I'm doing now. So I don't I don't feel like what I'm doing is not what I want to do. But there is a couple of things that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Um, one is be an astronaut. Okay. That's been like since I was a kid. I like I remember the first rocket ship I saw and I remember the Challenger in uh, 86 when it crashed. Like they were, they were all like really pivotal moments. And there's like this resurgence in like excitement about space now. Something cool that I get to share with my son. And it is kind of a dream of mine. I don't know why. Like science nerd type thing. I don't even know if that's possible. Right. So if I, <laughs> so if I weren't doing what I'm doing now, would I be doing that? Maybe, but I like dreaming about it. Yeah. I used to actually get in my report card, daydreaming was a concern or comment that used to always come on that. <laughs> and my mom asked me, what are you thinking about? And I said, astronauts. Nice. And really I was. I was like, um, yeah. then the other thing, um, I don't know if I really want to do it, but I think I'm really good at it. I want to be a detective. So what I've noticed in my life on personal levels and in the startup, like I'm really good at solving problems and like discovering things and getting to the root of things. And it's been super helpful for me, like in terms of being resourceful and stuff. I just think it's really cool. There's a lot of negative connotations to being a detective. I don't right. really want to be like a private investigator who snoops on someone's spouse. And I found ways to feed that need through some charity work that I do. In the past, I've been a big supporter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and helping kids with life-threatening illnesses, illnesses and helping grant their wish, which I thought when I first signed up for it, and it really, I, mean, I wanted to do something good, but I also wanted to be a detective. I thought I would be actually granting the wishes. In some cases, there was some help that I gave, but there's a whole team of people that do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, it was about going and talking to the family and the child and helping them come up with what the wish was or, mm -hmm. or extracting it from it, which was awesome. My next question for you, Tej, is can you swim? I love swimming. Okay. Never swam competitively. I don't even swim, like, exercise-wise. Uh -huh. I have a sister. Yes. And I have some very close first cousins, and I'm the only boy in that thing. And when we were younger and we'd be in the pool and we'd race, I'd always destroy them. Okay. <laughs> so I have this I have this feeling that when I swim, I'm like a shark. I'm super yeah. fast, uh, which is probably not the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you ask, by the way? I asked because we were about to jump into the dolphin tank. Oh, nice. Yeah. So no sharks here, yeah. just, just dolphins. Yeah. This is uh, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Uh, what are your goal setting methods and how do you make sure that you're growing each year? I used to write everything down. I used to physically write it down mm -hmm. in a book. I still have those books. I don't really check on them that much anymore. Um, now I, I send myself emails and put stuff in my calendar. My checking process, though, over the last couple of years has changed. I don't judge myself if I don't hit those goals. There are some metrics to it. You know, I'd like to be at this point financially. I'd like to have accomplished this. But a lot of it also is now health-related, both mental and physical. I'd like to, you know, get certain things taken care of. I'd like to be happier with who I am, mm -hmm. things like that. So the goals are much more about me being able to enjoy life, and I don't want them to be something that I can then scold myself about. You do some fast every year. Uh, I remember you. Not, not a fast. I do a, uh, every March, I do a, a sugar detox. Gotcha. So it's a diet, but I basically give up processed sugar mm -hmm. uh, and it works phenomenal I lose like at least 10 pounds every March so wow. what I do is like I don't really I try not to weigh myself for 11 months um, and I try not to think about what I'm eating I generally do eat pretty healthy so I'm not worried about it and my physicals like cholesterol is always decent so mm -hmm. I'm not worried but from a weight standpoint I end up gaining that weight back mm -hmm. and then I lose it all in those 30 days in March Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I'm much more of a, a polar, bipolar type personality where my wife always says to me, you know, like, why don't you just moderate year round and maintain? <laughs> I'm like, that's not fun. 
Like I'm really good at like <laughs> saying no, I'm not gonna touch any sugar. Yeah. And then enjoy the rest of the year as opposed to just every time like, okay, I'll just have one piece. What is the top tech that you're using to make your life run smoothly right now? So I can I can throw the question around and then I'll answer it. Um the low tech that I feel is still making my life horrible <laughs> is keys. Physical keys. Okay. I don't know why I'm always stressed about keys. I'm worried that I've lost my keys, someone will lose their keys, or if I lend keys out, I won't get them back. And I just, I don't understand how in 2018, when I walk into a door, I'm still using the same technology from thousands of years ago to open a a door. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. And and I have two problems with it. One is why can't I just trust and leave the door open? Like, why do I even have to, but I understand security and safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And why do I have three locks on the door? Second is how does it not recognize me when I walk in? On the flip, my phone is mm-hmm. pretty great. I'm not a huge like app user. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of key apps that I use, but knowing that like, first of all, the device itself is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this is the future. Like literally what we dreamt about when we were kids, like we're here. It's, right. it's pretty amazing what these things can do. Now are you an iPhone or Android? iPhone. But I also love the fact that if I lost it tomorrow, which would suck because it's really expensive, mm-hmm. I can go get a new one and it'll restore because it backs up automatically. Right. All my life is kind of in this phone. And again, the device is beautiful and expensive, but now that it's in the cloud, mm-hmm. it's there forever, mm-hmm. you know, which is really neat. We recently got an Alexa. I've been using Siri on my phone quite a bit. I really like this idea of talking to the computer, not using hands. We got the Alexa because parents had one mm-hmm. and our son couldn't pronounce Alexa, but he loved playing with it. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks ago, he just started saying Alexa really clearly. So we got one. Okay. And it's fun to see him talk to it and it's cool to play music and order stuff from it and so yeah so top tech i'd say are the phone overall cloud based computing and storage mm-hmm. plus new interfaces that aren't necessarily keyboard i think are really cool awesome favorite quote or model that you live by the one that i i, I keep coming back to and i don't live by it, and i don't think the person who wrote it does either or is anymore like don't worry be happy again those are two very very loaded statements human nature doesn't allow us to do that and happiness again is not it, it's different to every other person but that whole concept of like just chill out and really nothing is that important except the things that are super important and that to me comes back to family and you know your loved ones. But again, in terms of motto or philosophy, I, I read a decent amount and I write down stuff that sticks to me, but there's not one driving motto or philosophy that I live by, I don't think so. Okay, favorite or most impactful book that you've read? It's not my favorite book, but given the context of your audience, the book that had the most emotional, that got the most emotional result out of me was Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is a good book, but reading through it, I was actually reliving some of my experiences and it did make me very emotional. Mm. I think someone who hasn't been an entrepreneur would read this book and be like, how the hell did you get emotional about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some very kind of like where I had visceral feelings in that book. And I think for startup founders, a really important book to read. On the other side, another book that had a big impact on me, again, not my favorite book, and I do have some issues with it, but we've been talking a lot about presence. Mm -hmm. And someone recommended I read The Power of Now. Again, there's parts of that book that that I don't agree with and I don't even like, but there's some underlying lessons in it about presence that, again, that, that were brand new to me. Um, maybe other people know about it, but like it was perfect timing when I read it. It was the first vacation I took after that series of travel that wasn't fulfilling where I actually was living in the moment. 
all the food tasted great. The the conversations were awesome. Like just hanging out on the beach was just fine and letting things just be. And it was great. So what is a book that you do actually like all the way through? The book I'm reading right now is this book called Homo Deus by a guy named uh, I think Yuval Harari, Israeli guy. Um, this is actually uh, the second book of his that I'm reading. The first one's called Sapiens, mm-hmm. which is about the history of how we evolved. Mm-hmm. And that was a book that I really liked. It's it's, it's a nonfiction type book. Current one is Homo Deus is about where we're going. And I'm halfway through it. Three things you would tell someone looking to create their best life. First is you have to do you, whatever that means to you, mm-hmm. right? Like be you, like support you, like... It's all about you, right? We're, we're all figments of your imagination. We're probably real, but again, it's all about you. So your Absolutely. best life is your life, nobody else's. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. Like So a lot of what I've stopped worrying about recently is purpose mm-hmm. and like, what's my goal? What's And I kind of learned early on, um, there's some essay I read when I was kind of going through this recovery period of like the purpose of life is to live it. Like it's not to achieve something, it's, not, it's to experience every moment and feel it. I want to say enjoy it, but there are certain things that are terrible, you know, mm-hmm. but actually feeling it and being human is part of who we are. So like really like enjoying and experiencing your life. And then third, I'd say, you know, to the best of your ability, make it better for other people. Like simple is just be nice. Yeah. Right? Like you don't have to be a jerk. Be open, be giving, be tolerant. Try to make the world a better place. There's a lot of like giant moving factions and and negativity in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think if everyone just takes a minute to like recognize that we don't need to be this way. Some of it's legacy, some of it lack of exposure. But like I think if every individual just takes a moment just to be a little better person to everyone else, mm-hmm. we're not here alone, right? Especially in New York. That example of like that that rage walking. Like I, I live on 34th, and you see it every day. And oh, like, yeah. And like I know, man, you had a bad day. Right. right. And maybe our shoulders hit and you put a little extra check into it, you know, like, right. but I'm not going to get angry. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not going to curse you out. Like part of it is I'm scared that you might kill me. Right. But, but second is like, hey, I know you had a bad day. We all have bad days. And like, it's just uh, people can be a little more courteous. What's next for you? So I, I started this job at Google four months ago and I'm really enjoying it. Also, my son is two and a half now. Mm-hmm. So kind of my perspective on what's next from a time standpoint has really gotten much larger. Mm-hmm. So before it used to be like windows of five years, three years, six months, I'd look at whatever. Now I'm looking at like what's the next 16 years look like, mm-hmm. right? When till he's 18 and he goes off and like, what can I do to be a supportive father and friend but also at the same time, you know, continue to build my life and my career and and continue to enjoy things and be present and learn about myself. What's next? From an immediate next six months, my job, I'm going to be out there a lot. So for the audience locally in New York and in the startup scene, you'll probably see me quite a bit. A little longer term than that is, again, just to build on my career, do some awesome things, be hel- as helpful as I can to other people and be open to whatever comes my way, not, not be perspe- pr- prescriptive about it. Okay. And what's the best way to keep in contact with you? Email is probably the best. If anybody on in your audience wants to reach out to me, they can reach out to you. Okay. And you can put me in touch. I'm, I'll take almost every email I get. I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not a heavy user okay. of any of those. For me personally, I feel like they do detract, detract away from presence for me. So I actively try not to engage. However, I do think they're extremely powerful and an amazing way to connect with people that you know you normally wouldn't be able to connect with. Well, Tej, we've reached a point in the interview, time for the turnaround. And so this is where you become the interviewer. I'm the interviewee, and you can ask me any three questions and I have to answer. 
I just have one request. Please be gentle. So I know you, Ted. I yeah, know so you. I will I will get kind of deep right away. Since I've known you, you've always had a um, very positive presence. Mm-hmm. Outlook and the way you speak and everything is, have you always been that way? Or was there a moment of darkness or multiple moments of darkness that made you realize that this is better for you than any other way? Yeah. Uh, so I would say I went through... A lot of times, you know, of darkness. And I actually, you know, sometimes still deal with those moments of darkness. And I think what it is, is is choosing not to bring whatever I may be going through onto someone else. And then also, I, I really believe in the fact that you can create your life. So sometimes, or oftentimes, actually all the time, it's as simple as believing that it can happen. You know, and you're going to get deterred and things may not go ideal, but at the same time, I keep showing up and I've been here before. And so, you know, you build your confidence by doing what you say that you're going to do. So successfully completing the small wins helps me to remain more optimistic. The fact that I just won't give up. So I just try to live in that space. How are you creating your life? I keep going back to asking myself what it is that I want, which is funny that you said that. And so the other day, I have it written somewhere else, but I literally wrote it down on my dry erase board just to see what I would write out. Then I started to say, okay, well, if this is what I want, like one of the big things that I want in the very near future is to travel. And I said, okay, well, what do I need to do in order to make this happen? And for a while, you know, I sat there and I was like, well, you know, how realistic is this? You know, because I would need to move, you know, can I sublease my place or will my landlord tell me that I need to give it up? You know, how does this work? And so I started to come up with all of these different reasons why it could and couldn't happen. And then I just made the decision, you know what, these things are going to happen. And funny enough, the universe has already started to to help, you know, with the fact that I made that decision. So like you said, you know, deciding what you want and being clear about it and being unapologetic about it is what's really helping me. But really sitting down, I'm in a I'm in a season of self-awareness and personal focus right now. And this season is turning out to be very fruitful and very needed because I've also realized, you know, there are some things that I need to deal with on a personal level, going to therapy and seeking help and having honest conversations with people is really helping me to evolve and become a better version of myself. Cool. And then last question is, what's your favorite thing in the world? My favorite thing to do, my favorite thing is creation, to create stuff, like to think about something, bring it to life, and then for other people to enjoy it or be able to experience it, I think that that's like the most amazing thing ever. I think that everybody's creative. Sometimes we downplay it, but you could literally just, you know, drawings, et cetera, like from visual to anything, you know, it can happen. So I, that's my favorite thing is creativity. What about you? So if you had asked me a few years ago, it would have been along those lines. And it still is. I love like ideating. I love, you know, brainstorming. I love, wouldn't it be cool if? But now that I think about it, like, as I was asking the question, like, certain sensations that I really like, I like sleeping. Okay. Um, it's not that I like to sleep all the time, but, like, when you're really, really tired yeah. and your head hits the pillow and you hit that deep sleep, mm-hmm. that's a nice feeling. Currently uh, in my life, I love, like, my favorite thing is our son. I'm just amazed when I look at him, like, there, there are moments. I know this changes over time with parents and your child becomes older and... Also, but right now, like seeing him develop, it's it's incredible. Like, and you see, you can literally see like his brain growing, like the connections, like when he's trying to make sentences or right. or he realizes something, you know, that example is he's friends with a doorman a few buildings down. And when he was looking out the window the other day, he saw what he thought, who he thought was a doorman. It actually did look like the doorman. It was from behind. 
And he's like, oh, I want to go say hi. And the guy turned around and it wasn't him. Similar stature, similar whatever, but it clearly wasn't him. And then my son made a, a comment like, you know, oh, he looks like him, but it's not him. Huh. And you could see that there was something in that moment like that, okay, he's learning, you know, he's learning. And like that kind of development is just amazing to me. And then if you layer a couple things on like the fact that he's super savvy with like technology, uh, I'm sure all kids are, but it's like, it's amazing. Like they're just born natively with this technology. Like it's not weird to him that you talk to a computer. He goes to our TV a lot and starts swiping it. And I'm like, no, don't touch the TV. <laughs> like, like, you're getting your fingerprints on it. And, and like, and I get it. Like, why wouldn't you be able to touch the TV? Right. You touch everything else, right, you know, right. and he's not doing anything wrong. He's like pushing the YouTube button. But, yeah. You know, but uh, no, that, right now, that is my favorite thing. And aligned with that, also sleep. Because when you have a child, you lose a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Well, Tash, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Definitely a pleasure. Well, Create Your Life family, I want to thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and rate and review us. This helps us build the community, and building the community is what we are all about right now so that we can deliver as much value as possible to you. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.